Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 2, Episode 8, entitled Lop Lop. I have no idea what that title is all about, uh, uh, and I don't think the episode really had any reference to it in it. Well, so here, I I, I, I found out what it was. Okay. Um, so the Lop Lops are a, a strange kind of twisted uh, bird-like character that this uh german artist max ernst painted several times and he saw it as a uh, like an alter ego that he developed and and considered like an animal fam- uh familiar okay Have you've heard of familiars yeah okay sort of like uh you know like witches have cats and toads that are the animals that help them do spells and so this guy is obviously an artist and mm-hmm. he's thinking outside the box and he's also one of those artists that's really associated with the surrealist movement and if you look at some of the law plops he's he's painted they're very the fucking chicken has like three arms and it's kind of bending in the natural directions and it's melting into the ground and that's holding up portraits of himself and, and weird things like that, hmm. which is interesting because we were also puzzled about last week's title. Uh, did you do this? No, you did. Um, and one of our listeners responded, uh, Michael S said that it's, that was in response to an exchange or in reference to an exchange between a Nazi officer and Pablo Picasso, another famous okay. surrealist painter mm-hmm. and artist. Uh, the German was in uh, his home studio, and he saw his famous uh, Guernica artwork, which is this black and white surreal depiction of the bombing of Guernica, the the Spanish village, Basque village during the Spanish Civil War that I guess the Germans did on behalf of the Spanish government. And the German said, did you do this? And Picasso replied, no, you did, referring okay. to the bombing, yeah. not the painting, which sick burn, Pablo, and sure. also ballsy, no, that, ballsy things, to do yeah. right to a Nazi officer. Sure. Uh, so that was pretty badass, and now it feels like so. The first half of the season, they were developing these these themes of the theater of the absurd, and I feel like that surrealism is like a hop, skip, and jump over. Yeah, I guess. I, and, I and is there something it's... to this uh, alter ego uh, transformational aspect with Ed, Ed becoming maybe. a badass and Hansi wanting to transition, tired of his life mm-hmm. in servitude and, and being a killer, wanting to transition into a more traditional life? Maybe. I mean, clearly, you know, if they name this episode with that title, they have something in mind. But again, just, like, I, I feel like this, the up. surrealist and absurdist connection is probably enough for them developing the theme of this uh, of this season. Sure. Sure. So, but, um, yeah, that's what the, what I came up from it. Uh, okay, cool. What did you think of the episode? Uh, I thought this was the funniest episode of Fargo to date. I, per- period. Season one, two, everything. Uh, sure. What did you think about um so yeah, I think it's the funniest, mm-hmm. but also I think it might be the best of the season. I don't want to say best of all the seasons because there's really great episodes of season one of Fargo, and they're not fresh in my memory and recency bias, all that stuff, but I can't this because because yeah, there there I'm, was at least hmm. three scenes of really high tension, yeah. And countless scenes of just really funny stuff, and so many callbacks to Coen Brothers films, especially Fargo. Yeah, I, so many direct. I don't know. Lifts There's some some places where I think they dropped the ball a little bit plot wise, and yes. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm down with that. But so this is the the point in the Walking Dead podcast where I would be like, fuck this and fuck that and yeah. fuck them up and down. Yeah. In this show. 
I don't do that because, because they have the a foundation. track record. Yeah, yeah, they have a track record of just nailing everything. Yeah. And so when they take a slight misstep, I'm like, well, that was a slight misstep, but no no big deal. And I also think that they also, they're, they're not great, um, but they also at least nod to try to say, like, well, here's, it, it might not make sense, but here's a semi-plausible reason for it. Sure. You know, and they, Hank, they do. Hank was yeah. really woozy and disabled from his concussion, and that's why he didn't properly secure the scene. And and Ed is, I guess, a sprinter, he and he was kind of closer. And yeah, <laughs> like of, of windy, icy roads, and like I, there are ways you can kind of, I don't know, build a head cannon that says, okay, Ed could beat him there. But it doesn't. No, it, that's the one thing. But. They need it to happen for the story to happen, and like I'm, yeah, I'm willing to forgive if if once a season or maybe twice a season you have to. I always say like you got to shift into four wheel drive and drive over some pretty rough broken road to get back to the highway. <laughs> uh-huh. If if you do that and just kind of get it over with, and also say like, oh yeah, this isn't great, and here's something, but here's some things you can use to help suspend your disbelief. I mean, you know, honestly. I think S- subsequent those... viewings it bothered me more, but the first time through, I honestly didn't even think about like, wait a second, how the hell did that get there? <laughs> well, the episode itself is so enjoyable. Yeah, it's like it, without that misstep, I'm totally on board with you. Yeah, but like best episode of Fargo ever, potentially. Uh, you know, slight misstep, but man, I everybody just brought their A game. Jeffrey Donovan, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst, all of them just crushed it this episode. Yeah, no. Um, uh, what, what's his name? Zahn McLaren? McLaren? How do you say that? that? Uh, Hansi. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's He did an excellent job as well. I mean, that scene in the bar with him was awesome. Would you say that he's like the anti-Malvo? Anti-Malvo? And what do you mean? I mean, literally. Like, if, if uh, you've got a proto-Malvo and anti-Malvo, like the same particle, but they're charged positively and negatively, like Hansi... Is the light the the positively charged version and and mouth? They're both equally adept at killing and kind of remorseful in their way. Mm-hmm. But Hansi's much more sympathetic. And you think, man, if a couple broke breaks had gone the di- you know a slightly different way, oh yeah, where would he be? Yeah, you you feel a lot of sympathy for Hansi in this episode. I mean, the man served sure. three tours of duty, got a purple heart and a bronze star, which implies that despite the blatant racism and using him as a human bomb sniffing Uh or tunnel rat detecting robot he still showed gallantry in not just self you know selflessly serving himself well wait that's (laughs) selflessly serving his units and 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 saving people so that's he's a hero yeah he should be and like he should be yeah and for you know these people to treat him that way because of the way he looks is unforgivable and i think you know Maybe they need a, a couple bullets to the legs. Now, I don't think those cops deserve to die. Although well, they, pull they, up they do say, jump out and say, hey, freeze, coaches. coaches. Yeah. Sure. Which, you know, that, I that's wasn't, a dick move. But I wasn't death, in, I'm not sure. I had no idea Cochise cool. was a Indian slur. Oh, yeah. Native American I guess slur. I didn't either. I made it a double slur. Um, I, I just assumed it was. No, I, yeah, I looked up. He was a, 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 a quite important Apache chief, which, okay. you know. U.S. Uh, ed- uh, history education for you. There you go. Uh, yeah, so... But, but you start to feel a lot of sympathy for him there. Plus, it just made so much thematic sense. Like, they're giving him shit about this wounded knee stuff. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll give you some fucking wounded knees and some purple yeah. hearts. Bam, bam. Sure. And then later on when he's like, you know, I want, I want to be a professional. I want to 
get out of this life, uh-huh. tired of this life. You, you feel real bad for him when Lou comes in, like the hero of the story, Lou, yeah. comes in and starts shooting, and he's got a, you know, Peggy misses with the scissors th- thematically. Or not misses, but like narrowly misses giving him the life that he wants now well, because Lou's firing bullets and he's got to run out the door. So, so did Hansi want to die in that scene? No, I don't think so. I think he he says what he wants. He's tired of this life. He wants a haircut that's more professional. He wants to be something that he's. But not he's putting at this himself moment. in a situation where she could easily kill him. And even though he says no funny business, there's nothing really he could have done if she just decided to jam that in his neck. No, I don't. I didn't read that at all. It's something I wondered because the way he sat down, and just kind of closed his eyes and said, "I'm tired of this life." Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe he wants a haircut, but it's also kind of I don't know. If he's tired of this life, I don't let have the a cop li- shoot you like. Why are you putting up a fight at the end? Well, I don't know. It's a fight or flight response. Yeah, I don't have a leg to stand on, and this only really came up on my third watch where I, where I was um, exploring all the options. <laughs> well, no, what I do is like usually on my third watch, I'm I'm compiling feedback and making my notes, and then my eyes will come up to like really a particularly intense scenes. And also, I was kind of unsure about um, how many bullets and the gunplay was. Oh yeah, was odd. Um, I was shocked when it just dry fired. I did. I would yeah. have assumed that Hansi would not let that happen. But well, you know, he he loosed five rounds into the the window pretty fast, and I was like, man, I even because it's in slow motion, and then my DVR allows you to slow mo the slow mo. Uh-huh. And I was like, is he even pulling his trigger, or did they did they they did some weird post production? And I honestly am like fifty fifty on it because his finger is kind of twitching, but that gun's not making any recoil and. Probably because they're not even fired blanks. They're Clint doing, Eastwood would have known. They're doing. Hmm, would he? He would have known. Yeah. Would he have? Got to ask you. Well, or he at least would have bluffed, mm. right? He wouldn't have pulled pull up the gun, fired, and gone. Whoops. Yeah. But no, it's one of the things I was just looking, studying his face, and also Eddie, because because Ed and Peggy uh, were very clear on the idea that Peggy should kill him. Almost too clear. I, I th- yeah. And then I mm-hmm. noticed him noticing them and like closing his eyes, and I thought, oh man, maybe maybe he does kind of want death or a peaceful death or something. And then the police officers, maybe that's just like, uh, you know, just having the rate. And, and also, you got to say, Lou and Hank are kind of baseline racist towards Native Americans at this point too. Uh, like the yeah, way they talk it's about the late seventies. Yeah, I mean, I'm, that, I'm doesn't, not saying, that doesn't excuse it, but no, 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 no. It's why those things were in the historical context. You yeah. can still have heroic characters that are still baseline racist because that's the that, time it was. Yeah, sure. like wh- where they lived, the time it was. Like maybe they were even progressive for the time, but we would see them as racist today. Yeah, um, but it's like maybe it's like okay, I'm not going to let these assholes kill me. I'm not going to let the tools okay. of the state. Uh-huh. That have oppressed me and my people for hundreds of years. You know, he's kind of like a, a a Carl Weathers who actually has a legitimate beef against society. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. All right. Uh, maybe. I, I still think he was just tired of the, the crime life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially after he kills Dodd, it becomes apparent that he's done working for Dodd. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> because obviously he can't work for Dodd anymore. <laughs> no. No, for sure. I'm... Um... There's so much good stuff to talk about in this episode, though. I don't want to, like, jump right to the end and talk about all well, of it yet. Well, tough titties, dude. You just did. We haven't talked about all of it. There's <laughs> plenty more to talk about there. Really? That's literally the last scene. Him yeah. shooting out the window and running out the back door. 
mm-hmm. other than Ed and Peggy putting their hands up, we just did it. There's a lot there, to talk I just about with did it. Ed and Peggy, too. <laughs> um, okay, so we already kind of lightly bitched about the implausibility of Hank leaving Peggy alone with Dodd. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my for my money, I think that Peggy tied up Lou, or tied up Dodd all by herself. Seems like it. Yeah. Like that was a total heads up play for her. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, it's it's weird because like if I harp on it, I feel like I'm being ungenerous with Fargo. But on the other hand, I don't want to dismiss valid complaints about this episode. I wonder what Noah Hawley would say if you put it to him. Yeah, is it something that just didn't make it onto the screen in the way he wanted it to? Well, was I know, it like an error like in execution. Wall, I think what Seppenwall had a post ep- uh, season recap with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, last season, and he didn't really touch on the fish NATO because I don't, I never got, I mean, that was my cross to bear. I don't think any, the vast majority of the critical and viewing audience just rolled with that and not. They a said problem. what the fuck, but they, you yeah, know, they shrugged it off. Uh, whereas I thought in his review that, uh, in some, a lot of reviews I saw, a lot of people were like, man, this is a great episode of Fargo. There's a lot of weird stuff about the setup, and we're not so sure about if this fills in all the whole, but yeah, it's a great episode of Fargo. Maybe. Uh, maybe he will because I could see a guy like Holly being like, you know what? This is the one part of the story that we just really couldn't round off. And we took a couple shortcuts. We acknowledged them on the screen. We tried mm-hmm. to give him, you know, some, so, you know, the fact that Hank was suffering from a concussion and, you know, Lou and, and Hank kind of taking the roundabout way instead of reversing and following Ed, they clearly took off in the wrong direction. You know, I'm I'm assuming that in Minnesota, like just in, in like the place I grew up, if you're taking a roundabout way, you might go miles out of your way to to take those old country yeah. roads around the big fields and pastures and all that stuff. So uh, maybe, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's, there's I, a I lot know. of geographic. Honestly, there's a lot of geographical problems that are just not being addressed in this season. Like it still doesn't make sense that the Fargo judge was down in Laverne. It does, you know. There's a couple people that are bringing up some points in the email, and some of them are valid, some of them don't. Did you have a problem with the Mike Milligan newspaper? Ah, that's something that's going good. on in Fargo, and we're in a different state, uh-huh. and there's de- and the local town newspaper has got detailed information on the front page story about this Mike Milligan fella. Yeah, so I'm I was. I guess less than thrilled that that was how he found the phone. He he figured out how to call Mike Milligan. Like he just calls up the Pearl Hotel and is like, yeah, I'd, "I'd like to speak with Mike Milligan, please." First of all, really gangster, gangster, you're going to check it under your full real name. Good job, buddy. And how famous is Mike Milligan? Like Mike Milligan is from Kansas City, so is he like Capone famous? Is he Bugsy Siegel famous? So is he? I apparently so. Luciano I went on like Reddit and because uh, I was about to do, I was, I was rolled up my sleeves to start researching the plausibility of this, and someone had already done it to, uh, for me. That they had found that uh, there's kind of some breathless coverage of there's a real life Kansas City mafia. Okay, and if you like search for like the top ten mafia bosses in America right now, he's like number seven. Like there's a real life, <laughs> and it's called the Kansas City Mafia, and he's hmm. this big headed white bald dude and he's running the joint Mm -hmm. um and i wonder what he thinks of that (laughs) someone needs to reach out for an interview to see kind of like you know kind of like uh there's a lot of like wise guys that went on record about the godfather thing Mm -hmm. like there's a whole history about behind that stuff but it'd be kind of interesting to see if like someone would get his viewpoints on 
whether he's enjoying this or how accurate it's portrayed or whatnot. But there, people found some articles from the period that breathlessly reported like details of gang wars and whatnot. And okay. they're like, you know, there's not a lot going on in North and South Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if there's this big gang war going on, the cops know who Mike Milligan is because, yeah. you know, Mama Gerhardt spilt the beans. You know, we've seen how these local police forces work. They're probably leaky sieves as far as keeping information that the local reporters would get. And mm-hmm. local small-town newspapers are way more powerful back in the day than they are now, which now they're almost non-existent. Yeah. So. It was a little on the nose, but especially the fact that there's also a story. But the Hanzi thing, like I totally buy that if there was a oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, an Indian on a murderous rampage in that area of the country at that time, it would be like front page. Oh my God, shit your pants, lock your Absolutely. doors, hide your daughters and wives, kind of news. Yeah, yeah, that I didn't have a problem with at all. Um, it, it was basically just how he figured out where Mike Million was. Slight problem, but not not a huge one. Sure. Uh, I really do love seeing Ed's end of that conversation, though, like where he's on the phone <laughs> trying to get them to listen to him about Dodd. Like, right. I, I, I got your boss. Sure. I got, I got your boss. Don't you want him? Uh, okay. All, all right. Yeah. Uh, I'll call back. <laughs> <laughs> um, Patrick Wilson, man. Uh-huh. I've seen him in other heroic roles. Obviously, he's the... Was it the Night Owl in The Watchmen? Yeah, but I never really considered even in that film he wasn't really a heroic person. He was kind of this nerdy, uh, over the hill, past his prime guy that found that within him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's just a straight up hero in this. Sh- like that shot of him coming in down the basement with like his head being framed and yeah. like burst in with his gun drawn. He's 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 legit heroic. But, again, I've never really seen a kind of heroic badass exactly like this. And I continue to be amazed by uh, the, the character that they've created. And yeah. I'm, really, yeah. I'm really looking forward to, to viewing the season one of Fargo to see the Caradine approach to this character and how much the uh, Patrick Wilson will uh, kind of imbue him with retrospective, like, badass powers, you uh-huh. know? Like, sure. he's just... This is, like seeing what all he's done and seen, and he's just running this donut shop, this coffee shop. Yeah, like I've I've been feeling that kind of the <laughs> the whole time in this season. It's just been like kind of building on itself, where Lou is just becoming more and more uh, impressive to me as it goes along. Uh, I do like what they did with him, you know, uh, showing up at this basement and being kind of a protector and the Ronald Reagan film. Like I, I'm not sure why they didn't use Bruce Campbell for that. I guess it was because he's a young Reagan. But I feel like that with black and white and modern they makeup, done they could have. Yeah, it was yeah. strange to me that they didn't use Bruce Campbell because I'm like, is that Ronald Reagan? Oh yeah, his voice, obviously. Uh, so it was interesting, you know, the comparison between Lou and the heroic act that Ronald Reagan performs in that film, fake Ronald Reagan. I mean, like, yeah. Coming in to save the day, right? I don't, yeah, I don't know why they didn't use Bruce because, like, American Horror, also on FX, routinely makes Jessica Lang look like she's thirty mm, in like flashback okay. sequences whenever they need to, and yeah, you know, aging Bruce down to look like his old self. I feel like it's you know he's got this angular chin, just slather a bunch, just just put it on the trowel, put the makeup on the trowel, and and you you got him. Yeah, make the set slightly bigger so his head doesn't look as gigantic. But you got it. That was a Reagan <laughs> reference. So. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, was that the thing that I was thinking was was that Reagan movie reference foreshadowing Lou's heroic uh, rescue or Hansi's? Uh, that's a fair question, I suppose. We can both agree that Dodd is probably the Nazi in that film, well, right? No. Well, it depends because if okay. Lou's the hero, uh, the Nazi lives. He gets back up and continues to pursue. Okay, which so it's Hansi then, yeah. That 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 he makes the he the, the the Hansi's the Nazi, and it kind of you know phonetically works, and that lose the hero. But honestly, I thought uh, I don't know. I kind of want to give uh, Hansi the heroic nod in this. Okay, I mean he does come in and save the day. He does kill two police uh, officers for for uh, being casually racist, and but actually, on the other does hand, does he come in and save the day? He doesn't. Dodd's already out when he comes in. Like, yeah. not out-out, he's kind of waking up. That's true. But... Ed and Peggy also... That's the other thing I thought was amazing about this episode. Like, they continually get themselves out of heavy-duty jams. Yeah. But at all times, it kind of felt realistic. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, when when he's Peggy's got Dodd tied up downstairs in the basement, and Ed comes down and just delivers a thunderous punch to his sure. face, I, just, I cheered. Like, only a butcher boy can. Yeah. Uh... First time Take that those Peggy's been to good use. First time Peggy's been legitimately attracted to him. I, yeah, yeah. So their marriage is kind of taking a strange turn. Yeah, it's it's taking one that I don't think Ed is necessarily comfortable <laughs> with. Peggy more so. Well, I mean, Ed's warming up to it, but I thought that yeah. was interesting the way when they're showing doing the split screen in the car. Like they're yeah. kind of on one mind, but then Peggy starts talking like, "Man, we're finally free of that bullshit, shitty existence." We find he's like, "Wait!" <laughs> and you go to split screen to show kind of just like what they did with Bear last week, where how fractured he was. And that time they did a yeah. slight offset. This time is interesting because the split screen kind of divides them, but on the other hand, it also brought them a lot closer together than if you did just a traditional the traditional camera on the hood show the uh-huh. the wide front bench of this this car. Yeah, no, I talking about both I sides great of the face scene. and cinematography there. Yeah, I think they were more using it like less for spatial closeness and more for uh, marital distance, I guess. Hmm. Uh, for for but they're close. That's what I'm I- saying. Idealistic distance. I-, I feel like when I when I'm not saying that in a bad way, talking on both sides of their mouth, I'm saying symbolically they're suggesting they're closer than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. But there's also a huge divide in still what they will want to do because. What's Ed's in game? Like Ed's like, okay, I got you know, I got I gotta take care of these gangsters and oh shit the police and all that stuff. Where Peggy's just like, Man, she is Bonnie and Clyde and if that's all her life is, she's loving it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally got a Bonnie and Clyde feel from it. I'm amazed that they didn't end up using the uh the the, the conference in Sioux Falls more than they did. Like yeah. I thought that was gonna be the key to everything, and that was just a... Uh, one more clue, like so much broken headlight glass that uh, Hansi's able to track down and and uh, get get a get a bead on Ed and Peggy. Yeah, I'm, I'm still wondering. Like, we have two more episodes left, right? I'm wondering about this massacre at Sioux Falls, like because we assumed that it was going to be at this conference p- potentially. Now it seems like um, it's going to be at this hotel or motel, I, motor motel. I suppose so. Well, I mean, think about like, it. I'm trying to think of all, like, so many of the players are dead now. Like, the people that I thought were going to be, or, or if they're not dead, they're out of the picture, too. Like, I don't, I mean, unless Ed and Peggy escape again and Lou and Hank have to track them down again. I think Ed and Peggy are just going to skate. You think so? So, 
I mean, the really only terrible thing they did was run over Rye Gerhardt, which does anyone give a shit? And at this point, Ed has been attacked and tried to be blown up and tried to stab, and he's got a hang mark on his neck, and Peggy's got a fat lip, and... You know, it, it kind of looks like that some shit went down with rope. Maybe they got captured. Maybe this, uh, you know, the, I, I'm just saying there's a lot of plausible deniability. And I feel like that now the end state of this is going to be the Gerhards narrowly hang on the power with uh, maybe the mother survives, but and, and maybe Bear does. Um, but the Kansas City mafia gets wiped out because they're going to show up at that hotel and the cops are going to be ready for them, mm-hmm. and they're not taking Mike and the Kitchen Brothers without a fight. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, we've already seen so many and, bodies and, and drop. Depending on like, how what pissed, could a massacre be? Depending on how pissed off, well, if, if Kansas City shows up there with their combined might. And they just get obliterated, like 100 people just well, dead. Like yeah, We've seen like 30 people die already, <laughs> and 15 true. at a time. Like That's true. What is a massacre for this show? What do they define as massacre? <laughs> I don't know. Because uh, that's, that's what I was thinking. It's like, okay, the cops take care of Kansas City. Hansi is is still raw about uh, apparently his mistreatment by the Gerhards. Maybe he just goes up and finishes them all. Uh, he could maybe, do it. Maybe. I'm sure he could, yeah. Hey, just, he just walks around in a compound mm-hmm. and snicker snack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the Jabber, like Jabberwocky. Sure. Uh... So yeah, that's kind of where I think things are going. Did Hansi kill Constance? I'm not certain. He doesn't kill the clerk at the store or the owner of the store, whatever, uh, the comedian store. So maybe not. Yeah, I think there's hope for Constance. And there's a little bit of because, like in no uh, no country for old men, you're never quite sure what he does with that. So he flips his coin, yeah. Yeah, well, not or, only that, but just his... the last scene that when he uh, corners the wife of... Uh, uh, who the heck is... I can't think. I, I've only seen this movie a couple times, and it's been a couple years. But I thought that there was one of the classic questions in the film is did he fight, Did he kill the, the woman that he uh, finally confronts at the end of the movie before he gets in the car wreck? Hmm. And I don't know, but I thought it's like maybe they're, they're never going to address whether he does or not. But... I don't he, really. He doesn't kill know. the wounded knee dudes on the ground. Yeah. Um, he doesn't kill the shopkeep because he doesn't have to. Like, there's some evidence that why would he? Like, she did legit. Like, she went above and beyond. Yeah. And God, that was the one of the chief tensions of the episode. Is Peggy going to be dumb enough? Mm-hmm. And she's just dumb enough to essentially give him up the address without fully giving up the address. He's gives it to town and the lake. Mm-hmm. That's going to be pretty easy for for Hansi to track down, and, and indeed he does. I don't even think he needed to stop at the shopkeep. Yeah, honestly, yeah, he could have just gone to the lake and driven around and saw Dodd's Cadillac. That felt more like a confirmation to me. Well, plus, I honestly, I felt like they wanted one of their mission statements for this episode is we want to lift the entire line of dialogue from the and and also Sepinwall pointed this out: the fact that this was an inversion of Fargo. Where Fargo so? was a hostage situation, was a fake hostage situation with a female taken uh, who was an innocent. Uh, and then the police were investigating and they tracked down the leads of these maniacs that are at the cabin. Whereas this was a hostage situation where a bad guy was taken by the two normal civilians. Yeah. Uh, but the dialogue they lifted from the shopkeep was identical to the dialogue that was in Fargo about the guys going crazy up there and... 
You know? Yeah, that's true. So, and <laughs> I feel like even the Hanzi, when he says at the end, kind of like, okay, that that was like maybe the last thing that the deputy that was following up on it said to the guy. I didn't watch mm-hmm. the scene from Fargo to, to make sure, but I felt like that was one of their mission statements. Like, we got this scene, we want to lift the dialogue, we've got this beautiful kind of inversion of the whole plot of Fargo, so stick it in there. And now yeah. it's the it's the hitman asking the civilian the questions instead of the sheriff to make the inversion complete. Which All right, I like it. I feel like that's getting on some people's nerves, but I... Hmm. Yeah, like it's two minutes out of the episode, out of almost a 60-minute episode. If you can't throw two minutes of Fargo references in the Fargo TV show, (laughs) what the hell, man? Yeah, no, I'm with you. It doesn't bother me one bit. I mean, I guess you could say you could go meta and be like the whole situation in the lake and the way that... Like, Hansi finding the car was almost identical to Francis McDormand. McDormand? McDermott. I'm not sure. I don't remember. It's like the Dylan McDermott, the Delmet Dorooney. I, I, you get enough Dermots and Dorooneys and stuff, I just <laughs> my eyes glaze over. I can't tell the difference. Uh-huh. Uh, but that was that scene, like, the way they staged that was right out of Fargo, too. Yeah. So maybe they did. And they had a fairly horrific scene at this cabin as well. I mean, it wasn't quite wood chipper status, but this hanging thing, my God. <laughs> How pleased with yourself were you that you caught the Sioux Falls hangman game that's being played on the telephone booth? <laughs> Pretty pleased. Last yeah. episode, and then he literally gets hung. I, as soon as I, I was like, oh my God, Jim's head's got to swell up three sizes. Will it fit into the studio? Yeah, yeah pretty but great. That scene is just amazing. I yeah, mean, between him getting stabbed in the foot, like and honestly, everyone every, everyone says how great the Godfather scene is, where um, uh, Luca Brasi gets strangled and like how his face turns yeah. purple. And oh, how, this, that has nothing on this. Uh, yeah, like and it might may well be good, but my God, what they do to Jesse Plemons in the makeup department. I felt like I watched a man getting hung. It's it's like Veruca Salt in or Willy Wonka, hanged, rather like. Yeah. I mean, he swells up. If his head couldn't be any bigger, uh, normally, this is a way to do it. Plus the fact, like, I just like the subtle details of where, like, Ed's trying to get his feet on the kitchen table, and uh-huh. then, you know, Dodd sees what he's doing, kicks that away. So now he's trying to get a toe on the chair, and he kicks that away. And then when he's talking about the female Satan's uh-huh. kind of grabbing his arms and pulling him down a bit, it's, oh, my God. There's the other scene that had so much tension in it. Like, yeah. Is, is, and that's... You know, Ed, Pe- anybody could have died in this episode, except for Lou. Sure. Lou and Molly mm-hmm. and uh, Ben up in Defargo Police Department. Those are the only people that I know yeah. for a fact aren't going to die. So it makes these scenes really thrilling. Yeah. And that's something I guess I, 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 I'm not taking for granted, but I'm noticing more and more with Fargo how thrilling it is that you don't really have – you have these main characters that are disposable. Mm-hmm. They're, they've spent all this time developing the characters, but nobody's got character shields except for the people that historically have to survive. Yeah. And that's never really been, like, I, you never really get that. I guess that's why Game of Thrones and, like, The Wire and Fargo really build the suspense. Because, yeah, you can fuck around with Walt and Jesse, but, they're you know, deep down they're really not going to die. It's kind of amazing the tension works as well as it does. Mm-hmm. But in here you got already that level of tension plus the fact that, yeah, this could be the last scene for any one of these people. I honestly, I went. I have in my notes like as Ed and Peggy went through their travails with Dodd. Like as soon as Dodd got loose, I'm like, man, it's fifty fifty whether Ed and Peggy die. When Ed gets noosed, oh, I'm like, oh, there's there's like there's seventy five percent chance that, 
there's a 100% chance one of them's going to die. And 75% both are going to die. When Hanzi comes in at the end, I'm like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> Nobody's making it out of here alive. And they do. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Lou saves the day. Uh, the other thing I really have appreciated as this series has gone on is the similar arc that Ed has um, with Lester from the first season. Like, just the way that it's just kind of escalating on him. And he's not really a part of it until he is. Well, Ed's a lot less malicious. Certainly, yeah. Okay. Uh, but it, things are escalating in a similar way, right? He's getting in deeper and deeper. He's really got no control over the situation except for the brief flashes where he does. Um, it feels a lot like Lester before Lester goes full, uh, I don't know, Lorne Disciple. Yeah. Lornite. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I thought that was really cool. And the, just the, <laughs> I can't stress enough how funny this episode really is. I mean, there, that scene with Jeffrey Donovan in the chair and oh Peggy waving this knife around, it just <laughs> yeah <laughs> cracked me up. Plus even Ed, like, you oh, know. when Ed sees the aftermath, he's like, D- did you, what what happened to you? You gotta quit stabbing him, hon. <laughs> yeah, you gotta stop stabbing him. And the, when he's like saying what he's going to do if they don't agree to exchange Dodd, which you know, these guys are so naive. It's like you're really going to give them back Dodd and then get off scot free. No, of course not. Like that's the, that's the thing about dealing with criminals, man. The thing and is, he goes, he un- well, if they don't, I'll guess I'll show them which parts the flank steak. Like, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's great. Love it. It's so good. That's what a butcher would say. But yeah, Jeffrey Donovan's mugging. Oh. like at, at, and after he gets stabbed, and how easily cowed he is by Peggy. Like they really well, she's truly off the reservation. I mean, she is crazy. Oh, okay. fucking crazy! Man. Dodd fucking buried a dude underneath a uh, boiling pitch for really not much of any damn reason at all. Dodd's not seeing shit, talking to okay, himself, yes, you're and right. figuring like she's sorting her life out through visions in a basement after being attacked like i she's crazy man although you also she's gotta crazy. think dodd's misogyny even by 1970s standards is almost a form of mental illness into itself and it's what brings him down right <laughs> whatever the man if you that- want to stretch and say he's as crazy as peggy fine but there's no way i mean peggy's she doesn't realize the stuff she, that she's doing she's like well i had to teach him i had to show him some manners well that's whatever. what i was and wondering like- if this is actually signs that she's got a vicious streak that's coming out now that because Oh, man, Dodd's a fascinating character. Because I want to just say he's a bully and dismiss it at that with women's issues. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like a sly commentary about, uh, you know, his toxic masculinity. Like, he's forced to be this uberman, and he hates women, but really he also is the little boy that just wants to nestle up nestle up against his mom's breast. Hmm. And if, okay. he could, if he could be more emotionally in touch with his needs, then maybe he wouldn't be the vicious idiot that he is um but no i mean 90 percent he's just a big bully and you know it's the kind of trope that once you get the bully in in a position where he's no longer in power he just completely crumbles but then peggy yeah, becomes I mean, the bully that, that's the thing i'm not i'm not saying that he doesn't have his own hang-ups and mental issues but he's not like by any classical definition psychotic i'd say well there's like like i said there's there's yes i don't think he's he might not be clinically insane but he's still crazy uh, what? So one thing I want to ask you about the kind of related to Peggy is when she's feeding him the beans, is she just fucking with him, 
or she is no, or she's, she's had absent-mindedly. Break. Yeah, really? she, she just doesn't even think about what she's doing until she's done it. Because it's like I, I was getting a lot of Kathy Bates misery, and that's another mm-hmm. one where it's like, is she just cruel or is she nah. insane? I think or she, she is self-actualized to the point where <laughs> she's doing things that she's not even thinking about because she's being rather than thinking. Huh. And that's like that seems to be her big trajectory this season and it's culminating here in this episode where she literally has a hallucination of someone telling her to stop thinking and just do these things that she has on her mind. Yeah. Like I I think she's lost it. Yeah, do you th- some people are wondering whether you would have this this plaque where you saw Hanzi uh, look at these 22 Sioux mm, Indians yeah. that were killed in 1882. Uh, is that foreshadowing for how many bodies are going to be dropped in the finale? I, it could be. I just I don't think 22 is much more impressive than 15 in the woods. No, <laughs> but I'm... The Hanks talks about, so... Uh, but, you know, he's got that M16. It's capable of, of yeah. mass des- destruction. It's true. He's going he's gonna to take one back for each one that was taken from what him. What do you think is the funniest scene... Because I think it's after Peggy stabs Dodd and uh, Ed comes home, Come, yeah. comes back to the cabin, and they're talking about what just happened. And, and he's in the back. I, I'm hurt real bad. She she punctured my lung. Uh, yeah, with... and Ed just it's like oh, <laughs> I, the way that Ed is so like. I mean, I've said this before. He's he's effective when he springs into action. Yeah. But he doesn't know how to handle a situation outside of of pure reflex, right? And so sure. he, he stutters and he stammers. He's like, how am I going to deal with Peggy? And uh-huh. she's doing these things that I don't want her to do, but I right. can't talk to her about it. And right. he's so awkward. It's amazing. Now, Peggy's frustrating because, you know, like, I don't know whether you can tra- how easy it was to trace phones in 1979, but he's thinking about it. Uh-huh. And he says, I'm going to make a call from some other location so it can't be traced and then like two scenes later she's calling her friend Constance who yeah. already got her in trouble for being kind of a blabbermouth and being nosy and all that kind of thing. Um yeah. I as far as funny scenes I don't know which is funnier the whole stabbing scene is aftermath or the assisting Dodd to pee. <laughs> I forgot about that. And, yeah. and another underrated one oh is just God. a physical comedy of Dodd with the pillowcase over his head. Uh-huh. Like there was a lot of black humor in Fargo Don't you too. Do it. When 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 the when the the mom when when uh, Jerry's wife was trying to flee and she had oh, the hood over her God. head and she's yeah. almost like a, like a, the, the way she's moving her head is like a, some black physical comedy uh-huh. and that all hit me too. Like there's man, I yeah I laughed pretty hard pretty frequently in this episode. Yeah, me too. It was it's it's the funniest in my opinion, especially when she's going on like after she just stabbed the guy twice. And he's like, you can't let me pee in my pants like a half witch. He's like, you're, you're right, hon. There's the Geneva, uh, Geneva Convention. <laughs> right. Like, I'm pretty sure you can't stab prisoners for calling you bad names either, Peggy. And but... not liking your beans. Or, well, no, he ends up liking them. Not wanting your beans, I guess. Well, was, again, was that a genuine, I really like the beans? Or was that just like, I don't want to be stabbed yeah. anymore? Good question. Because he... He fr- he resists several times tr- not eating the beans. And then finally he just <laughs> like, I feel like she broke him. Yeah, I, the entire time I'm thinking, man, if he bit his tongue almost in half. Oh, he's exaggerating. Eating these, he eating these beans, yeah, well, yeah, you know. 
Because I like that. these beans can't be fun. I also liked how the, his first reaction was to try to play off the concerned citizen. And this woman just attacked me and she's seeing things and all. Yeah. And Ed, Ed doesn't buy bullshit it. on that. Uh, another funny, underrated, funny scene. Ed spinning a long, lingering look over to Hamburger Helper. Grinding up rye? Yeah, sure. sure. I mean, they held that shot for a long time. And then they go yeah. back to Ed and he's kind of like, oh. <laughs> Although... And subsequent watches, I actually was looking for his reaction because I was laughing at the hamburger helper. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if it did affect it. It's like one of those things where we're seeing his POV and we as the audience get the humor of it. I don't know that Ed does. Like, or even he made the connection. He's a he's that's a butcher. It's the, what he does. That's the thing about Ed that I love is you're like he doesn't he doesn't react the way that most people would react because he's a little slow. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's funny. Um the other thing that can't be overlooked here is just how good Jeffrey Donovan is with his reactions. Like I, it's not just Kirsten Dunst waving a knife around and and Jesse Plemons questioning sure. her about it. It's also Jeffrey Donovan just kind of stealing that scene too. I mean, all of them coming together just makes that scene. It's kind of amazing too. when you really think of the range he's had to play this whole season. Mm-hmm. He's been this super menacing bully. He's yeah. been this wounded little boy uh, trying to connect, reconnect with his mother. He's been just a complete idiot. Mm-hmm. And he's also playing this kind of like broad, almost sympathetic. Like by the end of him, the scenes of the Peggy, I was like, man, <laughs> that's that's rough being held in the clutches of Peggy. But yeah, but he deserves it. Yeah. like uh, uh, Other than like grief, other than like, you know, having to show like genuine re- or grief, he's pretty much ran the gamut. And done it all convincingly. Yeah. Like, this feels like a whole integrated character. It does doesn't feel like, oh, where did this thing come from? Where did that thing come from? And skillful writing and the flashbacks, all that help out a lot. But, yeah, no, I, I'm, I've come away super impressed with a guy that I've really never thought much about. As I was watching it, I there's the scene, you know, where Ed's swinging from the, the ceiling and Peggy bashes him and he, like, hurts his neck or something, right? And he gets up and he's like, it seems like he's paralyzed or something. He can't feel his legs. Oh, yeah, He's, like, yeah. swinging him around with his arms, and, like, I thought they were going to do something with that, but no, Hansi just comes in and blows him away. I thought when that, did you know that Hansi was going to shoot him? When they started, like, showing this kind of shot with him and Dodd in it, where, like, it's kind of pointed up uh-huh. at Hansi. I was like, eh, something's up here. So and that's, like, a couple seconds he shot him, before. and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I okay. felt like... I was kind of the first half breed that came out. I'm like, oh Jesus, oh yeah, and then he you calls know. him a mongrel and right and all that's like a, I, I was yeah. pretty convinced. And then yeah, by the time it felt like a, by the time he actually got around to shooting him, I'm like, yeah, of course he would. And they've done enough groundwork with Hansi and Dodd that I felt they earned that moment mm-hmm. where Hansi just says, "I've had enough of this." Well, it's like you know, I, I think both Mike Milligan and and Dodd have expressed sentiments about, oh, if you knew the day I've had. Okay, yeah. But Hansi's day, like, none that's, of them have that's had That's his a, day all day, every day. Right? Well, I mean, this is especially, you're, you're on this mission to find them, and everywhere you go, you're getting a face full of shit. Yeah. By a bunch of ignorant, racist, less American people than you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, yeah, just, man, he's a great figure. And again, I, I he's the anti, he's the anti-Malvo. The other uh, thing I like about that Reagan scene, or that Reagan movie is the way it took me as an audience kind of out of the scene as well. Yes. Uh, got got my guard down just like Peggy's was. Like I halfway through I'm like what the what is happening here? Like they Why am I watching from this TV but to move to like full screen movie to kind of yeah. simulate your POV 
As, as, in, as Peggy's POV, yeah. And then when you cut away and you see that the chair is empty... You're like, oh, of course that's what they were doing. They yeah, were distracting I, me as well as her. Because I was trying to get in, like, thematically, where is this going? What, is yeah. it, what are they trying to tell me? And then... Because throughout the episode, I uh, noticed that his bonds were getting looser and looser. And I'm like, man, one of these days they're going to turn their back. But then when the scene, as it was happening, they totally rope-a-doped me, man. Yeah, I, I looked at it and I'm like, okay, inevitably he's going to get loose, right? That's yeah. how these things go in movies and TV. I like the fact that Peggy is the one that actually ends up saving, most directly saving them all in both of these episodes. Yeah. Because, like, you know, you got Dodd saying that the... Uh, the, that that Satan is a woman, and that you got these towering examples of greatness, and he throws in Napoleon, which as it's, I thought it's funny that he threw in Napoleon as an example of these men made of muscle and steel. When <laughs> the popular conception of Napoleon is that he's kind of uh, you know got got little man's yeah. disease, although well, I think that's I think it's mostly historic, not true. Yeah, I think he's like five seven is what I've heard, or maybe he's like five, but he was like average, small, but, average yeah. for the the height at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, but he's not like you know. I think a lot when he's portrayed in the movies, he's like five two. He's like Danny DeVito. He stature. is Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, but it's like, it's like, yeah, all these great men like Napoleon and Kublai Khan, and it's like, how the fuck do you know about Kublai Khan, man? Uh, and yeah. Samson. Um, but no, it, but but then she this takes him down. Like he's, he is completely. Even though she's gotten better than like three times at this point, he completely doesn't take her threat seriously mm-hmm. until the knife's in his shoe and it's too late to do anything. Because by the time he extracts himself from that, that's pretty horrific too. Breaking off. Did, did she intentionally break off the handle, or was that a happy accident? I felt like she intentionally. It looked to me like she I broke so it off. Too, on and purpose. that's a heads up play. It is because when he went yeah. to go pull it out, and then oh uh, god. Uh. I don't know why, but people grabbing knives are yep. like, ooh, yep. it's like it, paper cut times infinity. <laughs> um, it it's really just makes my balls retract into my mm-hmm. my core. Uh, but then, yeah, she completely subdues him and completely belies his claim to greatness. I thought that was really great. Um, I don't know, man. The music, I love that tasty drum line that they've been playing with throughout the whole season, but it really starts up when Lou and Hank come in. Yeah. They kind of flanked the cabin and just super entertaining. And again, like yeah. I like the fact that he's got a you know wheel gun. He's got six shots. He puts one in Dodd's head. There's five holes you see being made in the window, and then he goes to shoot Ed, and it's empty. Mm-hmm. The gunplay was weird as far as how they staged it, but I like the fact that you know the uh, FX guys are heads up about it, even if Hansi's not. <laughs> you know. Sure. I, I I feel like that you know dirty. I, I like the Hanzi approach because I, I I honestly think in a situation you would <laughs> frequently lose track of how much how many bullets you. Oh got. sure, and plus he's kind of out of it anyway, right? He's thinking about his life, his choices, yeah. uh, and what decision he's about to make here. Yeah, so. I mean that's what they do in like the the army and the marines. They they put uh, a tracer round like the third bullet to the last because they know that soldiers are going to get caught up, and it's like when you see the tracer huh. round and go, oh, you're about empty. So don't be surprised. Get right. ready your ne- next clip. So doesn't give give away their position any more than like a muzzle flash would. Well, I mean, I don't know what other considerations. I just know that I've gotcha. I've I've, okay. I've heard of that because you know you're blasting through thirty round clips and oh yeah, that'd... hard enough to keep track when you got your magnum, but uh-huh. when you're you're shooting thirty at a time. Who knows? For sure. Uh, what else we want to talk about? Uh, I mean, I where do you like think Peggy goes from well. here? Uh-huh. I I got a question about where Peggy goes from here. I mean, she. 
in my opinion, has lost it. She's self-actualizing to the point where she's dangerous to both herself and Ed. Uh, what? Did they get picked up? Obviously, they get picked up by Lou and Hank, right? There's no way out of that. So if you think, like, they get loose and they don't really – none of this sticks to them. I think what that they they're do going to collaborate here? with the cops to help set up this big clusterfuck of a meet at Kansas okay. – at, uh, at Sioux Falls. Because Ed knows gonna, Mike's going there. And they're going to overlook all the other stuff and just kind of call it even. And I kind of think maybe Peggy and Ed will have a happily ever after ending. <laughs> okay. Because, like, cause like... Man, do they deserve it? Peggy is attracted to Ed. <laughs> uh-huh. Ed is too dumb to realize just kind of how crazy these things were. This is the excitement she wanted. Mm-hmm. And I, he's not going to go back to the butcher shop. No. Like, it would be kind of cool to see them off in California and her doing... Maybe she becomes like a life spring because that's the kind of thing like not only was it a cult, but also was a little multi-level marketing where like you're selling the information to other people yeah. downstream. Mm-hmm. So maybe she becomes like, inv- I mean, that's the guy's not really a happy ending, but I'm not also looking for <laughs> yeah. them falling through the ice. Sure. Uh, either. Especially Ed. Ed walks. Ed skates. Yeah, Ed doesn't Ed's, die. Of, of all the people, like it's weird because Ed has done a lot of the killing. And but a lot of the always, horrific his acts, been but all in self defense and justifiable. Yeah, no, eh. yeah. I mean, grinding Name up one. Rye is pretty horrific, but no more horrific than but, killing but him. I guess he killed Rye because Rye yeah. came at him crazy sure. in the garage. Uh, and yeah, he ground the meat, but that was kind of more for Peggy. Yeah, and then he kills you know the other guy because he comes after him in the butcher shop. Sure, so, like, and he's done the most killing, but I feel like he's the most innocent. Yeah, of no. all these people. Yeah, it's strange. He's like a, a, a albino bear in the woods. Like, you know, you can't blame the bear for, you know, mauling the hunter. Okay. Why does he have to be an albino bear to maul a hunter? Because he's a big, pasty white dude. Yeah, I can't call him a black bear or a brown bear or a red bear. He's a wild bear. And then albino bears happen, and he's a polar bear. There. Are you happy? I, I guess I'm just not I'm understanding just what you're trying white. to say. I'm just making, I'm making a, a pigmentation thing with him. Okay. Not that white bears are particularly vicious or albinism is a. I'm just going with his pasty white ass, man. You gotta defend your views of al- albinism. Al- I don't feel like I have to. I should have to, but I'm, I'm being attacked on my own podcast. Are you saying I'm like a bear racist? No, I'm okay. just wondering what your point is, but okay. I was just being funny. Gotcha. 30 seconds later, don't feel as clever. But <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? Because we got a ton of feedback. Uh. That I've left some. I think I'm good. I okay. think I'm good. Uh, so I saw Miller's Crossing this weekend. We're gonna get the we're getting the feedback. Send your feedback to Fargo at baldmove.com or get on forums.baldmove.com. Uh, I saw Miller's Crossing this weekend, and like a lot of Coen Brothers movies, I, I re- appreciated the quality, but I feel like I need to see it a lot more to actually understand everything that's going on. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about Jonathan L's statements last week about the the episode um, because I just skipped it all. I didn't want you know. I knew I'd seen it that weekend. Mm-hmm. So he says episode seven is filled to allusions to Miller Crossing. They basically reimagined the iconic scene at Miller's Crossing with John Turturro, where Bear drove Simone into the woods. Like Turturro, Simone is in trouble for loyalty conflictions, conflicts of loyalty. She walks out in the middle of the woods, begging for her life, eventually on her knees. Like Gabriel Byrne's character, Bear is conflicted and obviously has a soft spot for Simone. Oh, Danny Boy plays After It's All Over, a song that plays mm-hmm. a major role in Miller's Crossing. 
If we okay. honestly, if we had seen Miller's Crossing, we would not. We just said like, oh, well, that's an obvious gotcha, Cohen's yeah. reference. It's mm-hmm. not anything about the racial identity of the yeah, yeah, at all. Hearts. What makes this especially interesting that Miller's Crossing, Gabriel Byrne's character, can't bring himself to kill Taturo and lets him leave on the condition that he leaves town forever, which comes back to bite him later. Since we mm. never see Simone die, and since she begs for banishment, it would be interesting if Bear lets her live, going with heart instead of better judgment, and it comes back to bite the family later. So, does that change your mind on whether is Bear's shattering his cast frustration that the good side of him can't get the better Mm. Or the bad side of him can't get the, like yeah. he can't do what he knows he has to do, but he's too because he's kind. a softy, right? The bear is a soft. Is he now bino bear? <laughs> is that the problem? <laughs> uh, no, he's a purple bear. They're the worst. Oh yeah, Most the vicious. one with the heart on their chest. Oh Jesus, they're the worst. Yeah, if you see a heart or rainbow on a pink or purple bear, just run, <laughs> run screaming. Uh, yeah, I think that does change my opinion on what happens with Simone. Because it's She's like probably out there somewhere, but it's one of those things where it's like you can really twist your mind like a Rubik's cube. Like sure. if I had seen Miller's Crossing, I'd have been fully expecting him to let her go, and when he apparently doesn't, it'd be like, oh, well, that's an interesting inversion on that. Yeah. yeah. But then also it could be a double inversion, and they're playing it straight, and she actually did let him go, and we're going to see Simone <laughs> slink back into the proceedings later on. Here's another thing that goes back to a theory I've had with Hansi back since episode three. The whole plot of Miller's Crossing involves as Gabriel Byrne's character apparently double-crossing his best friend and mafia boss, but he's actually going on a long con that wipes out all of his mafia boss's enemies before he uh, uh, establishes... They don't ever get back to being friends, but he acknowledges that, yeah, you know, uh, you're my friend or you're my brother or whatever, and we're probably not going to be friends from here on, but I did this all for you. Mm-hmm. But... Also, it's kind of at, and again, I've only seen this once, so don't crucify me for it. But I also got the opinion that he also, that's how things worked out, but that's not how things he set out things to be. Hmm, okay. You know, and I was like, th- when I was watching this, this obviously jumps out at me that this is Hanzi. And I had this through, I was like, well, maybe Hanzi's playing a double agent where he's like hmm. playing this game with, with Bear and he's like really super loyal to. Mama Gerhardt, but mm-hmm. he's going along with Dodd under her orders. Well, if you got this, if, if Miller's Crossing is such a huge reference to this thing, why wouldn't you have that plot where a person goes out and sets out on this thing to do one thing, ends up doing the other, ends up doing the other, and at the end, the end result is it, it wipes the, the slate clean for the boss that he was originally working for in the first place. Okay. That's an interesting wrinkle. Uh <laughs> But I it's mean, a great I film. It, it, there's one. So the the film, I think, although a lot of people argued with me in the forums, on first blush, it seemed like a very serious, slightly absurdist take on a, uh, uh, a like you know your standard Irish mob versus Italian mob, okay, versus Jewish mob. You know, it's it's boardwalk boardwalk empire writ large, uh, or writ small. Where was I going with this? Oh, there's know. this one scene where the Italian mob, I think, attacks Lou, which is the uh, uh, the the Irish mob guy, mm-hmm. and they get Tommy guns out and they pull the trigger and don't let go for five fucking minutes. It feels like, <laughs> and it goes like full on. Like at first, I'm like, oh, this is stupid, but it kept on going. I started. I I don't think I've laughed that hard. <laughs> like maybe Rick and Morty. 
Okay. But I don't think I've laughed that hard on a non like you know just complete flat out comedy in years. Huh. It just gets crazy how much they're hosing bullets down and like when guys are getting shot, they're like you know like Sonny at the toll booth. Like yeah, imagine yeah. that goes on for fifteen twenty seconds, <laughs> and then to- he's also got a he's also got a Tommy gun, and he starts pinwheeling around and shooting himself and blowing his foot off, and it's <laughs> it's hilarious. That sounds amazing. It's the funniest fucking thing I've seen in a Coen Brothers film. And awesome. it comes out of nowhere. Uh-huh. Like, you're like, oh, man, this is a nail-biting, like, who's going to live, who's going to die? <laughs> and it turns into farce. It's yeah. ridiculous. So anyway, I'm back on my Hanzi as a double, triple secret agent. And I'm also back on the maybe Simone lived through that scene. All right. Good. Valid reasons, I think. Uh, moving on to Michael S. Uh, I already talked about this. He's the one that dropped the science on the did you do this? No, you did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyler S. said, I'm, or Tyson S., sorry. Uh, I'm starting to wonder if some of the people in the KC mob are the aliens the show keeps hinting at. A lot of theories about the guys disguised and walking among us suggest that they don't quite fit in. They seem to lack natural and innate human behavior. This might explain Mike's characteristics and some of his oddness, and some of the oddness of the Kansas City organization. Like the twins, not just the one. Perhaps they can't... Uh, speak English or any human language, so they have to whisper in their own language to Mike's ear. Or maybe they can only communicate telepathically and they just mimic like they're whispering. I don't know why they'd be trying to build a criminal empire in Kansas City. Maybe it's a game or a social experiment they're running. Do you have any thoughts about this? Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> You're... I, I don't know. I, I, I know. People are pulling too much of the alien thread here, but... Because there was no mention of it in this episode, as far ah, as I could see. You fool. There is something? So at the racist bar, mm-hmm. uh, all along the top, and like, you know, kind of, you get those little wallpaper borders, or um, or the alien symbols that we saw in oh, uh, really? in, in, in Hank's studio. However, a lot of people are saying <laughs> okay. that some of those might be Native American glyphs. That's what people were talking about, yeah, last week when we saw them. So, I mean, this could be Chariots of the God, because obviously we're dealing with some kind of alien deal going on here. But they're 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 building a, maybe a stronger connection, because we already see the Hanzi seem to have the most communion with the UFO. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe maybe uh, maybe Rye would have gotten there if he had gotten run down. But, you know, he spent two hours crouched in a road yeah. with this, this alien force and seemed to, I don't know. Not exactly message received, but it didn't phase him. And now we've got yeah, I man, I have still no two episodes to go. Fucking idea what two they're episodes doing with this. to go. And I don't know if I like we talked a little bit about this last episode, but I don't know at this point. Like as we get closer to the end, and it becomes like they keep winking and they keep winking. I feel like they need to show me something more and more. Agreed. But like I think we said, but this like, in, what could they show me that would be satisfying at the same time? Like, I I just don't know how because like again, if Miller's Crossing is a reference point in this, and like the machine gun is something so absurd and so out of place, but they kept going with it till it got funny. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't, I, I joked about this, I think in episode two. Like I wouldn't surprise me if some of these people's heads split open and there's a little alien inside. Uh-huh. Would it really shock you if like the kitchen brother? And Mike Milligan's like head split open, and there's an alien inside of them. Uh, I mean, it would be pretty shocking. I don't know that I would like call bullshit on it though. Especially if they went full on like it's hilarious and, yeah. and, and otherwise serious, because that's the thing that Miller's Crossing got me. 
Like, it seems like Coen Brothers are super serious or kind of very whimsical farce. And this was a really deft blend of the two. So the thing is, that's like, in the Cohen library. That's in the Cohen toolkit that they're drawing on. The, the trouble with it is they've got me so invested in the the straight up story of this. Like, I want to see the resolution with the Gerhards and with Mike Milligan and the Kansas City Mafia and with Ed and Peggy and Lou. And like, all of these characters, I'm so compelled by already that I'm gonna feel like I don't want the aliens to factor in because. I want to see how a real story would play out here. <laughs> not yeah. not how a story plus aliens plays out. You know? What I'm saying is the aliens could be a completely add-on funny thing that really doesn't impact the story. I guess, yeah. I mean... And, and I know it's like hard. I'm like, hey, what if it happened like Miller's Crossing? Like, I haven't seen Miller's Crossing or fucking yeah. fucker, but... So what, what do I do here? <laughs> I don't know. It just... It doesn't... It feels out of place uh, in Fargo to me, but... Maybe they'll show me something I'm not expecting that I, I'll really that's love. That's the thing that I love about this show is, like you say, it feels out of place. I don't know what would feel out of place in this show. Except for a, a completely straight, normal character. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, like, uh, just some... I feel like that's kind of who Lou is, honestly. Like, Lou's the, the touchstone in this whole thing, right? I guess he is the most normal character. He's He's... The everyman, he's a heroic everyman. He's better than most men, both yeah. most women, most people. Yeah. But he's still kind of the most normal. Yeah. Um, so Mike S, or Mark S, wants to ask us a question about Ed. How the hell did Ed stay conscious that long while hanging up in the rafters? How the hell did he get revived so quickly by Peggy? And honestly, how the hell didn't that outright kill him before she cut the rope? I could be wrong, but I thought hangings finish people off much quicker than that in real life. No. No, they don't. As far as I know. Like, if you drop someone That's in a hanging, yes. The the noose and the way it's constructed is designed that, like, at the end of a short drop. And yeah. they're, they used to, like, you know, calculate. Like, this person weighs this much and they're this tall. They need to drop at least this long. And, and if it, it, it it's designed to jerk and sever your spinal cord right there underneath your skull. And then death is immediate. Yeah. But if they botch that or they just string you up like this, you're being blood choked. Yeah. And that's all about... Which, if you've ever seen, like, an MMA fight, you can go a while. You can go, you can a, while, go a while or without... if, you get, if you get a tight choke where the brain, there's no blood flow and it's instant. But, you know, it's like if you, like... Yeah, You, you get, much. like, a deep gu- guillotine, there you can, you can get much, people yeah. to, to go night-night in, like, five seconds. Uh-huh. But if you don't get the complete blood flow... And then it looked like that Ed, you know, he'd... He had gotten, like, his, you know, fingers under there, and he'd also, like, for most of it, he was not bearing the full weight. He had his foot on the table. So it was inefficiently yeah. strangling him. And he's, like, grabbing the top and trying to pull up. And and the thing about a blood choke is, as long as you don't, you get, your brain doesn't die, uh, as soon as you restore blood to the brain, they yeah. almost immediately come, too. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of annoying in the movies, where it's like, when someone gets choked out, but they're not dead, like, it's like the, the guy puts them on the ground, and they're going to be sleeping for... No, no, you pretty much come to immediately. Yeah, yeah. So the, <laughs> MMA fighting has taught me a lot about yeah, yeah, yeah. The the human brain blood needs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and oxygen. Deprivation. That's why I never believed that whole the story about the like the French Revolution, the studies they did on guillotine guys. Like, oh, blink if you can still hear me. And there's like one guy that like was blinking for forty five seconds. Like, oh yeah, yeah. You massively lose blood pressure to your brain like that. You're gone. Yeah. You're gone. It's like pulling the plug from a computer. Mm-hmm. You know, like your brain may not, might not be dead, but you are not conscious. Yeah. And your head, if it's off, 
is not going to get the blood flow restored. Yeah, your, your, your blood pressure is zero. So yeah, uh-huh. like if 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 a hundred years in the future you can reattach their head and do all that, then great. But yeah, in in seventeenth century France, you're dead. Yeah, quickly. Uh, Mike B says, "I'm starting to wonder if Hansi survives the season, but has to change his name to Shep Proudfoot." Uh, if you don't know, Shep is the Native American character in Fargo the movie. Okay. Who whips the shit out of Steve Buscemi for getting him in trouble with the law. Uh, They don't have the same physical body types at all. Hmm, Sure. But it would be... It'd be pretty funny. Like, if you find out that, like, maybe he's gained some weight and he's... Uh, Also, it's like, I don't know, you know, how old... Like, I couldn't tell you how old Hanzi is. He's anywhere from 35 to 50. Yeah, I couldn't tell I you was how old guess Shep 40, Proudfoot so. is either. So it's like maybe he would, you know, it's only 10, 15 years in the future. Yeah, he might be able to do like some calculations on Vietnam and stuff like that, like we were trying to do with Carl. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It'd be, I, I, I would allow it if the last scene is he's wearing like overalls that says Shep on it and uh-huh. he's working as a mechanic. <laughs> I think that would be pretty funny. Sure. Barry C. from the UK, season three of Fargo has just been greenlit. It's cool. Great. That's uh, I think that just happened yesterday. They're they're not leaving us in suspense the way HBO is with the leftovers. Are, is there any speculation yet on what the plot could be? Because I know like as soon as it was announced <laughs> that there was going to be a season two, we were like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if well, you know, because, we followed the money back? That's because and, like, Noah Hawley was also out saying this is what I'd like to do, and also we had an obvious. Yeah, yeah. We need. We haven't had the obvious. When I was, you know, back in 1970, blah blah. I can remember in Sioux Falls that there was bodies stacked up, blah blah. Although next one's gonna be Carl Weathers and and Hansi in Vietnam. Well, I was thinking Fargo three. <laughs> what Fargo season three? What if it is a war, a Vietnam war story about All right. Lou? All right. Like they, I, the Coens have done war movies, right? I feel like they've done one. I'm struggling to think of one. I don't know. I haven't seen most of their catalog, but... I think I've seen everything but inside Ellen Lewis. Is that how you pronounce that name? No idea. Yeah, Miller's Crossing was... Uh, uh, and, and the man who wasn't there was the... Uh, those are the, the big blank spots. But And Lewin's Crossing, I think just... Not Lewin's Crossing. Uh, inside Lewin Ellis or whatever the hell its name is. That only came out like last year, so I don't feel too bad about that. Oh, yeah. But, oh, they, yeah, you're right. That'd be pretty good evidence against it. We're getting ahead of ourselves because there's some stuff here. Uh, oh, okay. Also, since we're talking about Fargo and, and comparison to the leftovers and being left a twist to see if they're going to be renewed or not, Fargo won the week, yeah? I think so. Yeah, even with the minor misstep in the plot stuff. Yeah. It's just because so the leftovers also had a couple of convenient connections as well. It did, yeah, and I. But, but I think that even if even if the leftovers hadn't taken the pedal off the gas, at Fargo, this was just a really fun, suspenseful, yes. exciting episode of Fargo. I think it just would have won legitimately. Yeah, I, I mean, you put this episode up against like the best of leftovers, and maybe well, not. But that's but... not what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm saying who no, won no, the no. Week. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like it was possible for leftovers to beat this. Certainly, sure. it. I but I don't think it did. I think. But it's, it's, it's weird because, like, week. The Leftovers has taken, like, three or four weeks straight, and I started yeah. getting shy about talking about this because, like, <laughs> it's weird because Fargo's the one we do last because it chronologically airs last, so you give you get the box score at the end of the episode, but, like, it gets demoralizing of every week. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's like, that's a pretty good episode <laughs> of Fargo, but did someone do some kind of spiritual inter-dream plane warfare with their ultimate rival? No, yeah. well then I guess the leftovers won. But yeah, no, Fargo took the week handily. I think so, yeah. 
Uh, had a couple knockdowns. Uh, let's get back to Barry C. Uh, so if season three has been greenlit, do you think it would need to be linked, even if it's ever so slightly, to a previous season or to the movie? I'm starting to think that any time is fine and no link to previous Fargo is necessary as long as they find that perfect blend of mundane Minnesota nice with fantastic and gritty violence. I would still like them to do the Grocery King guy. See, because that's I, the other thing I'm waiting for is the, the cash to show up. Yeah, because if they I, did his origin. I would love it if the cash was the thing that runs through all the threads, and then that would open up that you could tell the story of his rise to power. I mean, they t- they told a little bit of it, like a little th- bit, how he found the money, basically. But like, you don't get to be the grocery king without a little speed bump along the way, right? Right. right? I want to see the grocery rivalry. What was Jerry's father-in-law called in Fargo? Because uh, it also could be a story shit. of how he got his money. How he became the real estate and developer magnate that he was. Yeah, I can't remember his name. I don't. It's yeah. It's it's not. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But I will say that if they don't do the cash, uh, the the, the bag of cash is the kind of the the through note that runs through these seasons. Mm-hmm. Then I'm open to other things than you know, like I. I oh think, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if mm-hmm. they if they abandon the cash thing, then whatever. You're agreeing with Barry. They could really go anyway. Yeah. And it's fine. They haven't done in 80s. Yeah. But that would be, I guess that would be the, the Grocery King era. That would also probably be Jerry's stepfather, or not stepfather, father-in-law's rise to power. I, there's there's yeah, a lot of like stuff they could estate. do. And I don't know how many seasons they want to do this either. Because I also feel like there's a point in time where the references will start to be trite. And you're out of ideas. Yeah. And you're forcing things. And... Mm-hmm. You know, that'll be interesting if Noah Hawley goes away from the bag of cash. It might be because he's seen the future and say, like, there's not that many, not that many hands that this stuff could go through with, before I start really reaching. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the shelf life of this, se- this series is. Certainly no more than five seasons. I wouldn't think so, no. And five might even be pushing it. Like, I feel the same with The Leftovers, too. Like, I feel like ideally this is a three-season run. Yeah. I, Lindelof said he could see it go in five, but... I certainly no more than that. I'm just really rooting for these shows to go out on top. Like, yeah, I don't want not, them to get bad. And we've been spoiled because a lot of the shows that we've loved and covered have kind of gone out on top. They haven't yeah. overstayed their welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think so, like Boardwalk Empire was one of those that didn't overstay its welcome. Like it kind of hit hard with that fifth season, I thought. Uh, after a couple th- of ones that I didn't really care for, well, but gee, that's I don't agree with you on that point. I know. So you think it was like kind of no? I felt like I got gypped out, of, and then I felt I got gypped. Um, which that's probably that's yeah, prob- that's no. probably it, gypsies it, around the globe are saying yeah. "fuck you, man." Fuck, they're 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 pissed off about it. I feel I got screwed out of a good season, at least maybe two out of Boardwalk. See, Empire. now they know you're using "jip" as a synonym synonym for screwing people. So. <laughs> They're just doubly angry. <laughs> My code word. Um, yeah, so I think we've we've covered that enough. Yeah. But yeah, I, I'm I'm in full agreement. However they go out, I hope I'd rather them leave me wanting more than you know have a true blood situation where it's just yeah. oh Jesus, they're still making this show. Uh, Jake from Tallahassee. So last week's major question was what would happen to Peggy and Ed, and that was explained beat for beat this week. But it came at expensive near fish NATO level coincidence. Mike Milligan's information on the front page of the newspaper really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, first, Ed is near the South Sioux Falls in South Dakota. Mike is in Fargo, North Dakota. How does this newspaper have oddly specific contact information for a hitman that's literally in another state? 
Um, so we kind of talked about that. I don't want to belabor this a lot, but yeah. uh, he does say if Edward go to, to go to the bathroom at a gas station and saw for a good time called Mike Milligan with his phone number, I'd have found that less bothersome. <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, what would you guys think about the Deus Ex newspaper? Yeah. Wasn't great, but it seems plausible. At the at the very far hmm. reaches of plausible, but, okay. Whereas the Ed thing in the beginning, where he just ran, he's he sprinted a two minute mile on icy roads. That just seems implausible, but necessary. I guess so. Because the, the the one thing, the saving grace there is we don't know how far they are. We don't know the local geography as far as the roads go. There's but a lot we do of stuff. Know he that... had like three, four, five minutes with Peggy, and I know how fast a cop car can go, and I know how fast. Yeah, uh... I mean, it's a matter of like where where can the cop car go? It has to go on the roads. Yeah. So if there aren't roads that are convenient, maybe. It's um, a stretch. Richard L has uh, another thought on this. Are the miracle newspapers the writer's way of intentionally using an unbelievable fish or dev- er, plot device as an honest <laughs> bad plot device rather than pulling another fish NATO? I think Maybe that's so. an intriguing concept. Yeah. And I honestly, I would rather have that. And I was going to say, like, it would feel kind of ridiculous and Fargo-esque for this phone number to be on a wall. Like, just randomly. Sure. Like, there's almost something I feel is just tickles me about that. Mm-hmm. Like like he was saying in uh, mm-hmm. the last email. I, I don't know. I don't know. You, but then again, you might see it and go, oh, God. It's really a risk. Yeah. I mean, I, I I look at Fargo and The Leftovers, and I see these shows taking massive risks, and unbelievably, they're all paying off. Uh-huh. Like, there's so many things you get on the page, and it's like, man, I don't know if this is going to work, and you film it, and it does. But think about, like, this alien shit. That could really broken bad. It still can. And it the, still and, can. And how... Like I, I get Mike got a little too crazy with me with the Jabberwocky stuff, but like there, there's really walking just like the leftovers walks this tightrope between rationality and supernatural. Mm-hmm. Fargo walks this line between drama and like there's a the the cliff into absurdity and just stupidity mm-hmm. is a mile deep and there's just a hairpin curve that leads to it and they the keep actors, making it. The actors in both of those shows have really done them favors because that's the thing about the humor in the show nobody even as funny as jeffrey donovan was he's still taking himself seriously there's no mugging there's no like they're doing just enough this feels like like no one is in on the joke no one knows this is funny except for us as the audience and which is why it works if they were any less than deadpan about it it would just blow up in your face yeah and it it struck me during the episode like kind of that fact like i'm watching peggy act or you know kirsten dunn's act as peggy and she's deadly serious in what is clearly a ridiculous scene yeah and like just how do you keep your shit together when you're filming that scene and you're you got jeffrey donovan staring you in the face with these crazy like wounded puppy dog eyes right and jesse plemons is doing his shtick i don't know how you keep it together Bob D says, this episode gives me some insights on the confusing scene of Hansi with the rabbit early in the season. I think he was just trying to enjoy a brief moment of peace before heading back to his life that was so full of uh, violence and destruction. It makes a little more sense now that he's shown a different side of himself. I agree. I'm still looking forward to that uh, rabbit's fur 
uh, earmuffs with Peggy to kind of pay off in that scene, and I'm not taking that on the table, but it does seem like he was just trying to have a peaceful moment to himself before he had to get right back to it. Hmm. I guess I hadn't considered that option, but I don't know. I mean, I guess if he's loyal to Floyd over anyone else, maybe. And I guess I... I don't know. I have a hard time thinking that Floyd would want him to do what he did with Dodd. Mm-hmm. Like, even though Dodd is clearly a problem for her, yeah. I don't think she'd be down with killing him. Okay. Uh, moving on, Colin E. says, I'm getting lost with the show's geography. Where was the cabin yeah. and convenience store? Somewhere near Mount Rushmore? Yeah. Because that was, was in far western South Dakota, almost in the Wyoming. My Sioux Falls is in eastern South Dakota, almost in the Minnesota. Laverne, Minnesota is only 30 miles away from Sioux Falls, and Fargo is, of course, 250 miles straight north of Sioux Falls. So the convenience store owner calls the police after Hansi leaves, and Lou and Hank show up at the cabin. Lou and Hank were in Fargo. How did they get to the cabin so fast? And they are Minnesota law enforcement, not South Dakota. Why is South Dakota law enforcement not there first? (laughs) I can help you a little bit with that, because I believe in last episode... Hank and Lou had heard about Hansi's rampage and were kind of heading in that direction anyway to investigate. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I could be wrong, and if so, then that's that's unconscionable, and it's a it's a massive massive plot hole. But I think if you buy that they had you know were heading in there to maybe check it out over the next day or two, then maybe they could that that would all work out for them. Uh, the whole absence of law enforcement has been puzzling me all season. A huge gang war is going on with lots of killings across multiple states, lines, and it seems Lou and Hank are the only two members of law enforcement that are trying to do anything about it. My rationality is for that is that these are sparsely located popul- places. Uh, a lot of the police force seems to be passively, if not actively, corrupt. Okay. So yeah. maybe Lou and Hank are the only two non-shit cops that are giving a shit about it. Yeah, so as far as, like, the Mount Rushmore or Sioux Falls thing, mm-hmm. um, Peggy makes it clear that they're they're near Sioux Falls. Um, yeah. Because, you know, she talks about being close to the convention. Uh, and the, the clerk at that store says, this is where people stop on their way to Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Like, and, and his, I know the front of his store says Rushmore uh, but that's, Grocery or whatever, but yeah. he's he's a salesman, right? Right. He's, that's a little bit of marketing. Like, right. Hey, you're on your way to Mount Rushmore. Stop in the like, Mount Rushmore you know, grocery. There's, a, there's an Evansville, Indiana gas station called the Brickyard. Yeah, sure. Nowhere near yeah. Indianapolis. Uh-huh. Indianapolis 500, but people do that shit all the time. So my impression was they were very close to Sioux Falls, and he just assumed they were on their way to Mount Rushmore, which is across the freaking state. Yes. But the directions line up, I think. But I w- I'm with you, Colin. It's hanging on a thread. Yeah, like, I am very is, confused by all of it. it, it, it and, and there's stuff that just still doesn't make sense about the judge. So I, I'm, I'm yeah. with you, and they they need to tread carefully because that part <laughs> of the suspension of disbelief. And I don't even know the geography that much. Yeah, but like I, I was scratching my head. Mount Rushmore. Like what the fuck? It's yeah. So, uh. Continuing on, Quab S said, How on earth does Peggy survive a free and angry Dodd not once but twice? I really thought Ed would be coming home to her corpse. I feel like the Dodd just continually underestimates her. He doesn't, That's true. Yeah. He's incapable of learning his lesson and seeing women through any lens than the way he does. They're either mothers yeah. or they're bitches that need to toe the line and are useless and helpless and mm-hmm. all these things. Yeah, I think you're right. Um. Which says, how pathetic is Dodd? He let these two amateurs take him down twice. Like, again, he is pretty pathetic. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he says the movie that Molly was watching in episode two or three is Operation Eagle's Nest, which I believe is also the movie we're supposed to think that Peggy is watching in episode 208, Low Plop. While not a real movie, just the way Massacre at Sioux Falls was a made-up Reagan movie, so is Operation Eagle's Nest. This is the movie that Reagan, actor Bruce Campbell, is referring to in his bathroom conversation with Lou Salverson. The awkward scene where Lou is talking about having really served in a war, and Reagan has a story about being in a movie about World War II. Oh, okay. Uh, so, and he, because Reagan says, it's like that Nazi bastard had us cornered, but in the end, with a little American ingenuity, I, I, I feel like that was the same movie that we're supposed to understand that these... Sure. are all referring to the same thing, right? I like that, yeah. I was also curious to see uh, as to whether we'll ever find out about the true connection of Hansi to the Gerhards. Is he Otto's son from the other side of the sheets? Was he taken as in as a child and raised, but not quite as an equal, so he's both grateful and resentful? Ah, man, the way that Dodd keeps calling him half-breed conspicuously and mm-hmm. makes me think that there might be something there. But with only two episodes to go and this being kind of the Hansi-centric episode, I can't see how we'll ever really get more than we know about it. Unless the double, yeah. triple agent thing's true and he comes home tearfully to... I mean, there's no way that Otto's not his father, but Floyd's his mother, is there? Um... That would explain a hell of a lot, if you're to my way of thinking about the double, triple cross theory. I mean, how does Otto know? Otto would have to know, right? Well, yes. I mean, you don't you yes. can't hide a nine months of a pregnancy totally very no. easily. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. But if so, Hansi was the oldest, and if this is just a part of the history that the that the Otto yeah. and Floyd don't talk about, mm-hmm. then you know maybe he was raised on a reservation, and then I don't know. It I think the possibilities are Otto's still his father. Yeah, I think the possibilities are still pretty open. Um, we don't know enough about the history of this family yet, but I would like to see more, I guess. Yeah. Um, Joel H. said, how good was Jeffrey Donathan in this episode? Uh, we've talked about this a ton. Great. Really fucking good. Uh, I've heard a lot uh, that the production team has made... Uh, wait. I've heard a lot that the production team has made Kirsten Dunst more frumpy and that she's gained weight for this role, but I find her to be more attractive than ever. Oh, ever. no. Maybe it's the borderline psychosis, because I've always been attracted to crazy women, or the vintage clothes, but am I alone in thinking that Peggy's hot? And he says, hey, I'm not doing this as like a scumbag kind of sexualization way. I'm just uh, admiring uh, socially <laughs> unacceptable standards of beauty. Hey, man. All right. So you, you can you can find a woman attractive and pretty and, and, and do so in a respectful way. Kristen Dunst, much like Drew Barrymore, falls in the Uncanny Valley where they're just they have certain facial resemblances to my sister, <laughs> and I think that's the reason why I do not really? find them hot at all. It's with the I'm chin to... and the nose. I think with with huh. Drew Barrymore, it's okay. all about the chin and the jaw, all right. and with Kristen Dunst, it's all about the nose and the eyes. But it's just like it. I think that's what huh. it is. It's like there's enough of my sister in that that it's just nope. See, I'm on the other side of the spectrum here. I I used to have a huge crush because she's like exactly my age or whatever. Yeah. So I grew up watching her sure. movies and always thought she was super hot and all this stuff. And like, mm-hmm. uh, she went through a period where I I feel like she got less attractive because she was into drugs and smoking and drinking. Was she? And like, as as far as I know, yeah, she had some. She had a rough patch for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. But that said, I I guess she's attractive in this. Like, so there's something about the pants that I like that she's wearing. 
I don't know. The polyester 70s. Yeah, it's weird. Like, they're they're very strange pants, and they don't look great on everyone, I assure you. Well, Joel, it sounds like Jim's ready to be vice president of the fan club. But but the other other parts of Peggy are so unattractive that the pants don't outweigh it. I'm sorry. Like, you put a fine rump in nice pants, but you put it on a lunatic and I'm sorry no thank you <laughs> uh jason z last thing for you guys and it's the last email ironically can we debate this already the wire is my favorite tv show of all time season three and four of the wire are damn near perfect is it safe to say fargo's second season has the possibility to be the, one of the best seasons of television ever the best season of television ever <laughs> every week it ends i'm so sad what's been better leftovers yeah i mean Fargo's great. Don't get me wrong. Leftovers has been some of the most phenomenal television I've seen. Ever. I hate having these debates while they're happening because, like, yeah. some shows grow in people's eyes and estimation. And it's the real test is five years from now, is it going to be mentioned? Because it does feel like, man, Fargo and the Leftovers have been killing it. But Leftovers is, and this is this is a very subjective point of view because there's some people that just can't stand the Leftovers. Where I think yes. Fargo has very broad. Like, I always encourage, like, people that you you love to watch Breaking Bad and haven't given Fargo a chance are doing themselves a disservice because I feel like it hits a lot of the same notes. Fargo is a much broader appeal. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Leftovers is very specific. Oh, yeah. Um, But if you're into that thing, it's the sushi, it's the raw, it's the, you know, the the raw sea urchin to Fargo's filet mignon. Definitely. Yeah. Maybe Uh, even Fargo's beef wellington. (laughs) <laughs> is it better well I, I feel like it has a little more appeal oh okay like it's got more substance to it but, but for my money know. it's it i you know and there's still an episode to go but i don't know what the leftovers could do other than completely crap in the bed in the finale that would make me think that it's not yeah at least top three all-time seasons of television when i say that fargo beat it this week yeah is that the first time we've said that uh i feel like there was a split decision episode okay I know there right. was a split decision. But I've seen Leftovers take the last three, four weeks in a yeah, row. Yeah, 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 yeah. With just uh, stellar episodes. Yeah. Stuff where I'm talking about, I'm questioning my stance on Breaking Bad versus Leftovers. Like, sure. that's how good Leftovers has been this season. Uh, that'll be an interesting debate to have. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Uh, hopefully, we'll see you back next week with another great episode of Fargo. We're mm-hmm. getting into the final stretch. Don't you know? Everyone gets abducted and... Right. Goes Mike back Milligan to Planet Mil- Milligan <laughs> in the uh, Kansas City system. Uh-huh. Uh, but we're going to be back. If you like to give us feedback on this episode or the ensuing one, Fargo at BaldMove.com works. And you can also go to forums.baldmove.com. And until next week, we'll see you. See you then.